on into the cemetery, kids. It's time for In the Corner, back by the woodpile. <laughs> And today, Daddy's going to bring some creepy stories about ghosts and travelers. So, enjoy! When you went away. There was a trader of herbs by the name of Yimwit who traveled through some lands in the cold north. Cold for the weather and cold for the general disposition of the people. The landscape seemed to always be damp gray, as if the region had been set on fire the day before, only to be put out by the cold rains in the night. The men there seemed to have been burnt and rained on as well, not appearing particularly happy to be alive, and thus minimally interacted with their women and children. When the men did make mouth noises, they spoke in growls and curses, of course without any consideration or gratitude. So this produced what everyone knew as the cold north, a region with no hope and thus no disappointments and not much interest in dwelling on misery. So when Yinwi came through the region, specifically the waistline of a clump of mountains, looking to discover a unique herb or two that he could export to his homeland, he ascertained quickly that making jokes, humming melodies, or flashing smiles at the local people would not be reciprocated. The trader was one of those kinds of people that were nearly bursting with kindness or curiosity regardless of his surroundings, and so didn't refrain from sounding his merry-making noises around these dour folks. Sure, the cold northerners just stared in cement silent at his compliments, thank yous, and laughter, but Yinwi didn't care. Kindness to others made him happier than those who received his benevolence, he figured. During his search for the unique vegetation, the trader became fond of a particular meat-filled bun shop that seemed shoved in between the mountain slope and a winding road. Yinwi dined there every evening, even when he had to travel far to get back to there. In spite of the establishment not having a name save the crack sign that read Meat Buns, the food there had more flavor than any other in the region, which generally ran the gamut of tastelessness. When Yinwi complimented the woman who managed the shop, she just looked at him with lifeless eyes for a moment and then went back to counting the till and, and griping at her workers. One evening, after yet another superb meal, Yinwi went out behind the shop to find a place to relieve himself. There was no shack or even a hole to empty oneself into, but just the mountain, which countless others had painted with their waist. The traveler shook his head at the not well thought out and unsanitary sight and decided to hold his business until after the dinner. But then in strolling back towards the shop's backside, Yinwi noticed an open door. Smiling gladly with a message to deliver, the trader entered the shop kitchen. There he found a teenage girl with matted dirty hair and a grease-smudged face slowly laboring over a stove, looking years older than she should have. The trader complimented the girl on her delicious meals, to which she responded with a standard dull stare initially, but then miraculously let a half-smile break across her face. You're tasting my slow suicide, the girl reported. How's that? The traveler asked, somewhat concerned, but actually hoping there was some kind of humorous intention in the girl's bleak riddle. Recently, I've been putting in extra spices, herbs, and salts, which I suppose is what you find delicious. But actually, I'm putting all these extra ingredients in to break my family's business. We're miserable. and I believe we'd all be better off dead than to just be standing here waiting out our deaths. At the rate that I'm pouring the extra ingredients into now, we'll be completely out in a month, at which surely we'll go out of business, because then our food will have become unbearable. 
I suspect my mother will execute me first, and then when my father, who's an unpaid soldier in the local army, finds out, he'll hang my mother and sister from the rafters for letting this happen under their noses. Lastly, he'll gut himself rather than starve to death. Tis the cold northern way of dealing with most difficult problems. Yinui was stunned but actually impressed with the girl's ingenuity. She'd be good at business, he thought to himself. I'm sorry to hear this news from you, the traveler stated with sympathy, and yet no pity. But I don't blame you. I've always felt nothing but understanding for those who feel the need to take their own lives. But if you don't mind, I'd like to eat at your shop every evening until the end comes. One, the food is superb, and two, the curious side of my mind would like to see if everything you predict will come true. The girl nodded and lit one side of her mouth upturn into a, another half-smile. She was amused at the man's transparency. The mother yelled out an order from the front, and so Yinwei bowed and left the haggard girl to her kitchen. The trader did as he said and continued to dine at the meat bun shop every evening. He also always pretended to go out behind the shop for bodily functions, but actually checked in with the girl in the kitchen, named Hele, incidentally. She always stretched his mind with her voiced-aloud thoughts. They a kind of bleak purity squeezed from the harshness of her life. Find out what a person will believe during war, starvation, or misery, and one might find a tea brewed without filler. Still, Yinwei always managed to make the dirty-haired girl half-smile with the stories of his travels or the proverbs he sometimes quoted. But something happened that Hele didn't anticipate. The meat buns began to get an incredible reputation in the region. So much so that there often weren't enough seats to place the eager-to-eat customers. Not one to miss an opportunity to better their lives, Hele's mother increased the prices of the meat buns. This did not deter the customers, and in a few weeks, the mother raised the prices again. So ultimately, their profits increased so much that the extra use of flavoring did not deplete the shop's budget. When Yinwei found out this news from Hele, he didn't know whether to be happy or sad for the girl for now her miserable life would be prolonged. He also realized her suicide would not happen on schedule, and he needed to return home to attend to business matters. His last night in the region, Yinwei had one more meat bun and visited Hele in the kitchen, bidding her farewell. The girl stood swaying in front of the stove and wept. The trader wondered if it was an offense to the cold Norse culture to embrace a young girl, until he realized that in all his time in the region, He'd never seen anyone touch another in any capacity. Well, except if one counted the handful of fistfights he'd witnessed. So Yinwei pulled the girl to himself, tolerated the stench of her unwashed body, and held her until the front of his cloak was drenched with the girl's tears. The man tried to wait until the girl could compose herself, but there seemed no end in sight for her sorrow. She even ignored her mother's shouts for more buns. So finally, Yinwei let go of Hele and said a final goodbye and exited the shop, and in a few days, the region. A week or so later, the trader got back into the warmer, greener lands, where even a farmer, who was dealing with the crisis of one of his horses having lost two legs to the jaws of wild dogs, or a small dragon, had general joy enough to look up from his field, smile, and wave at his fellow human passing by. When Yinwei arrived at his home, he first gave the big bundles of discovered herbs to his stockman, the employee was amused that his boss had found a leaf that, when chewed, dissipated anger and a root that could be made into a delicious coffee-like drink that also returned color to the drinker's atrophied legs. Though on the return trip home, Yimwi had rolled around in his mind what he could possibly do to help the poor girl trapped in that filthy, nameless kitchen lost in the cold north. The trader quickly found himself 
overwhelmed with all the problems that had arose in his absence. When he would go to bed at night, he was so exhausted, he barely had time to say his thanks to the Maker for his life and business before he would pass out. As deep as his sleep was, Yinwi always awoke in the morning still exhausted. It was as if he had barely slept at all. And sometimes, during the day, terrible memories occurred in his mind that he concluded were the residue of nightmares from the night previous. Always faces of the unhappy dead he saw in his mind's eye, which made the traitor wonder if he'd unknowingly disturbed the grave of a forgotten ghost or had been cursed by some witch or warlock along the way. Finally, the exhausted Yinwi walked up to a hill temple and found a maker monk working in a garden. He consulted the holy man about his trouble, to which the wise man advised the businessman to ask the maker for an opportunity to confront the spirits disturbing his sleep. And so in amongst his prayers, Yinwi asked for the ability to chat with the horrors haunting his head. His request was granted, and that night Yinwi became aware of himself in the middle of a dream and was able to grab a ghost, one made of water, screaming shrilly. The trader demanded to know, what have I done to cause you to trouble me so? Please let me make things right among the living lands, if that's what this is all about. The ghost ceased to become water, revealing that it had been a human the whole time, just so covered with water that it seemed to be nothing but liquid. Its face became that of Hele, and spoke sadly. When you went away, you left a ghost, claiming to know a secret path between charred trees and frost, preserving decay, towards a land lined with warm boulders fit for bare feet, and summer squinting eyes lit up by other nodding faces. That spirit was an evil trickster that teased me with filthy, unreadable maps until I could hope no more. Traveler, I believe you to be a noble man, but in the future, be careful of the ice that you thaw. At that, the ghost of Hele returned to becoming water, only to drop to the ground like a tossed-out pan of dirty water, and slowly became muddy ice. Yinwi crouched down and touched the frozen residue. It so cold it burned his hand, which woke him from the dream. The next nights were without horrors now, but the trader's days were haunted by the young ghost's admonishments. So occupied was his mind with the girl that he put one of his employees in charge of the business indefinitely and told the young man that if he didn't return in a year, consider the business his own. Yinwi returned as quick as he could to the cold north until he found the charred ruins of what had been the meat bun shop. His heart became wrenched with sadness and questions that felt he had to have alleviated immediately or he would die of a heart attack. Finally, the trader found some dingy men trying to pull their stuck cart from the frozen mud and asked them about any news they had regarding the shop and its cook. It was a cursed place, one of the men stated, shaking his head. That girl became possessed, they say, and climbed into her own oven. There were terrible screams at which the mother found what had happened and tried to pull the girl out. Some of the girl's skin and muscle was stuck to the inside of the oven, and it just made things worse, not to mention burning the mother's hands. The girl died after a few horrible hours, and the mother wailed from her own pain for days. The village leader couldn't take the noise or terrible smell, and so ordered the family executed and the shop to be burned down. Now everything is back to normal. If you ever ate there, said the other dingy man, you should consult a witch doctor or sorcerer to make sure you've not been tainted by the evil of the family in their shop. Yinwi nodded in gratitude for the information and walked back to the ruins of the shop, feeling his heart as cold and bleak as this cursed region. The trader sifted through the rubble and ashes until he found a collapsed oven and some bones he believed to be the girls. The grieving man put them in a bag and lay down under a nearby bush on the incline of the mountain. Hoping to chance, see the ghost the dream Hele had told him about. 
The wait was awful in more ways than one. A combination of sadness, missing what once was the place where Haley half-smiled, the wet cold weather and the smell of old waste a few paces away. This all made the wait miserable. And yet, somehow, the heartbroken Yinwi was able to fall asleep after an hour or so. The trader woke up several times in the night but found no ghost. He decided to collect more herbs over the next week and returned to the spot to sleep every evening. Though Yinwi awoke one deep night to catch a dog sniffing over the ruins, and the animal, once it spied the half-asleep man, sprinted away as if it was running for its life. Never did he catch sight of even a slight slant of mysterious light, much less a spirit making claims to knowledge of secret paths. By the end of the week, Yinwi was defeated, and so journeyed south out of the region. When he finally found some ground that was warm enough to be able to break, the traveler buried Hele's remains, said a prayer of sorrow for himself and a prayer of hope for the girl, that her spirit would find peace somehow. For years, the trader wrestled internally on whether his actions had been wrong. We can only guess what Yinwi must have queried others about his conundrum, as that his question is still debated today. in its absence. A man named Cray D was traveling towards a destination which would seem to close shut any reason for he ever having to walk the highways again, stopped and rested in a pile of stones. A local passed by and reasoned that the traveler was not from the region and so was courteous enough to inform him that he was sitting on a grave. Cray D apologized and asked the passerby if he knew the grave occupant's name so he could apologize to them in a prayer. The passerby replied, I remember the dead man, but I didn't know his name. He was very troubled, and naturally nobody liked him. I think he might have killed himself. Credit was stunned at the passerby's indifference to a soul so troubled and lonely that he felt he had no option but to end his own life. And so the traveler thought to himself, If everyone in this region is as calloused as this passerby, how much suffering must exist for the disheartened? Saying a sympathetic word over the pile of stones, Credi curiously took a detour from his intended destination and moved on down a marked road towards one of the region's more populated areas. Sure enough, the traveler found a very rude and abrasive society where the strong and rich never looked behind them. Superstitiously, these motions were considered as opening a door to illness. So the man decided that, at least in the few days he could afford to stay there, he would make sure any lonely hearts he found would find some comfort. Credi first saw a middle-aged woman sneaking around as if hoping that no one would see her. He asked a marked law enforcer about her who reported, Ah, she's a rotten thing who wants to play nice these days. The gall thinking we'd just forget all the wrong she'd done. And then with his face lighting up announced, Ah, watch this. The traveler followed the lawman's pointing finger at the creeping woman, passerbys throwing trash and insults at her when they realized she was there. Credi ran to the pitiful woman's aid and, after getting her out of danger, paid a transporter to take her to his hometown, where no one would know about her past, whatever it was. Sometime later in the day, the traveler discovered a terrible situation where a blind child had basically been enslaved by his slob, lazy parents to make bricks all day long while they were out spending both the profit and the charity their household took in. 
So after some pondering and investigation, Credit gathered some deer tile bones behind a meat shop, assembled them to look about the size of a child, laid them on the pallet that was his bed, and set it on fire. The lazy parents later returned home and believed what the smoking bones spelled out, they weeping at both losing their free labor and the attention and charity they received from having a physically dependent child. The traveler again used a transporter to send the child to his hometown who placed the boy with a couple who was barren. Had he been there, Credi would have heard happy cries all around the new family. Finally, Credi found an old, disfigured, dry-mouthed woman whom was so frail it took her two hours to reach a well and three hours to haul the water back. And so the traveler found some laborers to help him dig a well just outside the decrepit woman's back door, and that was that. On his way out of town, Credi stopped by the pile of stones to say goodbye to the unknown person buried there. Struck by the day's big events, the kind-hearted man fell asleep behind the grave. In his dreams, he woke by the stones where he saw a sad man who was rearranging the stones to make a bed. The frowning ghost lay down and began addressing the dreamer. Sorry to be so rude, the sad man said, motioning at his bed. But when a person in this cursed region dies lonely... They are doomed to become perpetually hungry and sleepy ghosts. Credi was speechless and just pursed his lips in an attempt to show sympathy. The ghost continued. We're supposed to torment those who drove us to lonely ends, but I'm too weak to even do that. The sad man readjusted some stones that served as pillows. It looks like that because of your good works today, I won't have to bother the uncaring living. I had died in vain to boot but your empathy and actions gave my deaf meaning. Soon a ghost peddler will be around to sell me some food. Then I'll have energy enough to travel on to a ghost town and finally be in the friendly company of others. So I want to do something in gratitude for you, but you must trust me. The traveler was still speechless, but blinked, indicating that he was listening. Go back to the disfigured, dry-mouthed woman whom you dug a well for. Take her to your hometown and marry her. If you do, you will find happiness that you have never known before. And just at that moment, what Credi guessed to be a food peddler, clanked up to the stones, did business with the lonely spirit, and after a quick meal, both ghosts were gone on down the highway of the dead. Credi woke up confused and startled. He was inclined to just continue on home, but he was the type of man who gave every odd notion the chance for credence. So he returned to the disfigured woman's home, bringing her some breakfast, and after eating with her, found her to be a great conversationalist. As kind as the stranger was, he still had man's eyes and couldn't see himself marrying the defective woman with a sincere heart, but thought he could at least take her home and give her care. Credi proposed this arrangement, and the woman, Limei being her name, was grateful and agreed to join him onto his home. Over time, the traveler became even more fond of the physically twisted woman, and it pained him both that her sweet spirit was trapped in a mangled body and that his own spirit was trapped behind eyes of distinguishing flesh. His irritation with his discriminating vision frustrated him so much that he for a time considered gouging his eyes out. But Credi realized this was just as insulting to the poor woman as much as his sometime repulsion. Finally, in a possible reckless abandon or a leap of faith, Credi asked Limei to marry him. She was initially naturally suspicious as to the man's motives, but finally agreed. They did it quietly with only the local maker-talker, no one to give a blessing to the union. On the wedding night, the new husband became very upset with himself that he had no urge to touch his new wife. Still, the two lay in their bed and talked till they fell asleep. 
In the night, the man had a very vivid dream, and in it, a breathtaking young girl was walking on a precarious wall going through the middle of a lake. Credit followed her by slipping into the water and wading nearby. At the moments where his silent swimming couldn't keep up with her strolling, the girl deliberately slowed up. Soon the wall became a crumbling thing along the way, and at a point the girl tumbled, but in a manner that a leaf might flutter downwards. Credit caught the girl, she looking up with those alluring eyes that only women that know what they're doing can. You've earned me, traveler, she said in a soul-pulling voice that only women who know what they're doing can. Lay me down and I will pull you down to me. The traveler allowed a slight smile, but it soon slipped into a frown. I'm sorry I followed you, ma'am. I'm married in the waking world, so I shouldn't, even though I want to. The girl smiled knowingly. You are a wonderful selfless husband who will never enjoy the greatest pleasures of marriage in the waking life, so have your deserved reward here. Her eyes flickered a little and became the old film-covered pupils of his decrepit wife. The man thought it might be a trick, but he felt such a connection to the girl that Crady gave in to her bewitching. Uninhibited, the two became one, albeit in the dream. In the morning, husband and wife woke up, feeling very refreshed, but the man began to immediately feel guilt eat at him, especially when looking at the defective body of the woman he carried to the bathing tub, overlaying the vision of the body of the dream girl. It was only a dream, Crady told himself, not a real action or sin, and it helped him physically function through the day. But still, he didn't feel right. That night he dreamed again of the girl, and again they enjoyed each other, if you get my meaning. And night after night the scenario went on. And also, night after night, Crady did not touch the skin of Lee May. The disabled woman didn't seem to notice, humming every day as many a fulfilled wife would. Finally, the guilt during the day invaded the bliss during the night, and the husband told the dream girl that he could not continue the affair. The girl began to argue, but not wanting to be tempted or swayed, the man cut himself with a sharp stone along a dream path and woke up. His broken wife still slept while he rose to keep from going back to sleep. The nights from there on out were restless, as Crady kept escaping his dreams via waking up when the beautiful girl tried to approach him. During the day, his exhausted mind searched his soul for why his body couldn't obey his heart. Was this some last remnant of selfishness or disobedience that the maker was trying to purge out through this crisis? Until one morning, the husband picked up his wife and carried her to their back garden to break fast. Ignoring the water Crédit had prepared for her, the dry-mouthed woman seemed bothered in spite of the kind acts. She grumbled, Why do you keep refusing me? Some things had or worse in their absence if they're suddenly taken away. Crady swallowed and began to think of a way to tell how he loved her deeply but was not attracted to her body. As the man began to take a stab at explanation, Li Mei waved away his clumsy answer, saying, No, no, I know about that, of course. You'll see what I mean. Bring us some sleepy flower tea and let's have a nap, or I think I will die if I don't have you soon. So crazy with confusion, the man could only do as he was asked, and after two cups were downed, weary husband and wife fell asleep in their chairs. In the sleep world, Crady awoke in the exact same lawn chair, except with the stunning young girl rousing from her slumber next to him. I missed you, she said with her mouth, turning into a smile that suggested so much. And at recognizing something old and familiar within the young girl's eyes, Crady allowed to happen what he'd been refusing over the past week. After a mad frenzy on the dream ground, the two fell back into a sleep. Crady and Lee May awoke at around the same time, both on the waking ground 
and feeling incredibly better. And so the two resumed that day and the rest of their days with mischievous grins on their wet mouths. Thanks again for stopping by in the corner back by the woodpile. And if you want more stories like the one you just heard, check out Tales from a Secondhand Planet up on Amazon. In the Corner Back by the Woodpile podcast is produced by a closet, a pocket, and a suitcase. You can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at spuncounterguy. Be sure to download the new Podbean app to hear this podcast and others on your tablet and smartphone. And we are now on iTunes. Just do a search for Back by the Woodpile on the iTunes store and we should pop up. And a special thanks to thebrofisticate.com. 